Raised by wolves with canine DNA in his blood, having trained more than 24,000 pets, helping you and your fur babies thrive. Live in studio, it's Pet Talk Today with Will Bangura, answering your pet behavior and training questions. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome your host and favorite pet behavior expert, Will Bangura. Good Saturday morning, everybody. Welcome. It is September 24th, or three days until Phoenix Suns training camp begins. I'm Will Bangora. And I'm Jordan Marston. And you are listening to Pet Talk today, as well as watching to Pet Talk today here on Facebook Live. We're here each and every Saturday morning from 9 until 10 a.m. That's Pacific Time, Mountain Time. That's 12 to 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 to 12 p.m. Central Time. Um, If you're brand new to Pet Talk today, let me talk a little bit about what we do. Um, We're here to help you deal with all of your dog, your cat, your pet training and behavior issues. Um, Not everybody can afford private in-home training. Um, So this is our labor of love. This is our opportunity to be able to um, help those people that need help with, uh, with their pets. Um, last week we talked a lot about, um, loose leash walking. Yeah, absolutely. Which I mean is important for all pet owners as, uh, the weather is getting nicer and people are taking their dogs out for walks. And we were also talking about leash reactivity last week. So, um, if you've got a dog that doesn't walk well on the leash, if you've got a dog that has reactivity issues, um, and you happen to miss Last week's episode, um, you can just go ahead and scroll down on the Pet Talk Today Facebook page, um, and you're able to watch last week's episode as well. Do us a favor, hit that like button for us. By hitting that like button, it allows more people to be able to see what we have to offer and more people get to benefit from this. And also do us a favor, hit that share button. Go ahead and share this to your Facebook page. So your friends, your family, if they've got issues with dogs or cats or other pets, they can get help uh, with that as well. Um, Like I said, what we do here at Pet Talk today is um, we help you with your pet behavior and training issues. One, two ways that we can do that. Um, We've got a call in line. We're here to take your calls and answer your questions. We've got just one line. So as we're taking calls, if you hear a call, if you hear us talking to a caller, um, just wait till after the call before you call back in because you're just going to go to voicemail because we only have one line. Also, you can go ahead and we encourage you to type your behavior and training questions into the comment section. And also do us a favor, in addition to hitting that like button in the comment section, let us know what kind of pet you have or pets and where are you watching from. Okay. Um, we're going to go ahead and should we give out the phone absolutely, number? Absolutely. So um, if you'd like to call and you'd like to get some help with a problem, a training or behavior issue, the number to call. That is 602-525-6880. Again, that is 602-525-6880. We look forward to hearing from you. Yeah, don't be don't be uh, bashful. We love getting your calls. Also, if you are a longtime listener and watcher of Pet Talk Today, if you've taken some of our training tips Uh, behavior advice, and you've been working on it, and you have been having some good success, we'd love to get your feedback as well. Absolutely. Um, Oh, look at that. Looks like we already have a call. All right. We've got a caller. Thanks for calling Pet Talk today. Where are you calling from? Um, I'm calling from Belford, Washington. Ah, Belford, Washington. There we go. How's the weather up there? Um, let me see outside. It looks a little sunny outside. There we go. There we go. There we go. So what's your question? How can we help you? Well, you know, last week I I just got to say thank you guys for what you do. It's really, it's really appreciated. At least for me it is. And I'm sure there's other people out here that are are in the same situation I am. I'm a a local trainer. Okay. And you guys last week made a comment about um, reliable cues. 
how many repetitions it would take to um, secure that cue. Um, yeah. And I was wondering if you guys might uh, kind of um, talk about that a little bit more because I'm not able to really find the research or I would like to go back where you found that research. And um, I'm just wondering because a lot of people out here are thinking, you know, it's really hard to train your dog and find the time. And then uh, a number like that at 9,000, I think it was about 9,000 times um, in repetitions. Um, that's a large number for people to yeah. grasp. So I was just wondering if you could kind of elaborate on that a little bit more for me. Yeah, absolutely. So so the first thing that I want to say, the reason why I said, and the number that I said was 9,762. Right. Um, okay. And the, the reason why I say such a large number is because practice does not make perfection. Okay. Practice exactly. makes permanence. And the thing is, right. what a lot of people don't realize is that this is a always continuing, always ongoing thing that you need yep. to keep doing. My dog. It's a I, lifestyle. Exactly. Honey, exactly. Yeah. My, my dog, my dog is a, she's a trained cortisol detection dog. But the thing is. Nice. I okay. haven't done any work with her cortisol detection probably in a little over a month. And as a result, I've oh. noticed that she isn't responding quite as quickly when I'm having my my moments. And what, right. what that what that what that speaks to is that there is not any number. In fact, I believe that there was a book that was written that said it takes 66 days or something no, like that. No, the book, the book that was written a long time ago, this was an old book, uh, 21 Days to a New Habit. There we go. Right. And when, okay. when the guy was interviewed, he admitted he made up the number. Exactly. Oh. Exactly. So okay. the reason why I say such a big number is just to emphasize that this is ongoing. So the biggest thing I want people to recognize when you have dog issues, whether it's behavioral or just regular obedience, it is a lifestyle. It is something that right. continues forever. Now, I, I just yes. want to say, because you asked about numbers and you asked about um, what it takes to get you know reliable cues. And there's a couple of things, okay? Numbers are part of it. And, and the science, the research showed it was 66 days to a new habit. Okay, now that was for Is people. Is that for That was for people. people okay. Yeah. Yep. Now, okay. interestingly enough, I read a study a couple days ago and this was about um, dogs that were fearful in shelter mm -hmm. settings and they were talking mm -hmm. about doing counter conditioning and desensitization and what it took to turn around and really help these dogs that had, you know, pretty significant fears uh, being in the shelter mm -hmm. there. And it turned out it was 72 counter conditioning and desensitization exercises in 96 days. So wow. 72 sessions. And the sessions were about 15 minutes long. And mm -hmm. for, for over a, a 96 day period. So you figure that's about three months. Okay. Right. Um, yeah. 80%, I believe it was 80% yeah. or more that really turned around and had yeah. significant improvement. And, and we're talking about super fearful dogs in a shelter mm -hmm. environment. And that yeah. is just a testament that if you don't give up, if you keep on putting the work in, um, you know, you talked about a lifestyle and, and, you know, it's one thing if you just want little fluffy to sit exactly to give a treat. Okay? Right. And yep. it's a whole nother yep. thing. If, you know, fluffy is scared to death of everything or fluffy is aggressive exactly. towards everything. Precisely. Mm -hmm. And when it comes to doing the work that you need to do for a dog that has a serious behavior problem where there's a strong um, emotional factor that underlies that fear, anxiety, um, rage, you know, those things are going to take a lot of repetition. And there's a couple reasons mm -hmm. we've talked about it before, you know, number one, yes, it takes a lot of repetition. Okay. Think mm -hmm. about muscle memory. All right. Mm -hmm. And if a dog is even slightly over threshold, there's that potential that they can't access the frontal cortex. So as far as right. thinking, thinking about the cue, thinking about what we want them to do, chances are, it you doesn't know, matter. unless we've yeah. been- Yeah, they're not catching it. No, yeah. they can't think and they can't learn. And when they're in that state, 
they can't learn, they can't think, and, and the memory is just not going to work well. Um, mm-hmm. So it's about lots of repetition, but it's also about keeping them under threshold when we're doing the work and making yeah, sure. Yeah, I think a lot of people don't realize how how easy that is. Well, to, you know, a lot of people know, think, let me, I, ju- let me just expose my dog to what it's afraid of and stuff food, stuff in, its food mouth. in its mouth. Or, oh my yeah, gosh, my dog yeah. barks every time he sees a stranger. When he starts barking at strangers, let me start giving him food. You know, there's... Right, and there's, they don't realize what they're doing right. at that point is, well, yeah, what they're going to be, you know, what's causing problems, yeah. Well, the biggest thing that and I And they find, have to do it over and over. When people are trying to yeah. desensitize their dogs to a fear or desensitize their dog when they're aggressive. The biggest challenge that I find is that if they're keeping their dog below threshold and doing the counter conditioning and desensitization work, they feel like they're not doing anything. They, they feel yeah. because yep. the dog I run across that. Yeah. Because the dog's not, you know, reactive. It's not crazy. <laughs> it's not fear. You know, how could we be doing any work? The dog's calm. Right. Exactly. Yeah, we're trying yeah. to okay. expose the trigger you know, whether little it's a little bit by little bit, but if it's a sound, we're going to turn that sound way down. If it's a visual trigger, we're mm-hmm. going to send that trigger way the heck out of there. So when the dog right. experiences the trigger in training, ah, they know it's there, but it's mild. It's mild to the point where they don't have really don't have a care in the world. If emotionally, right. if emotionally there is distress, then that is what we're conditioning. Yeah, and you don't realize how many times, I mean, you go out in public and you're trying to, you know, you're trying to do this, but, you know, you only can get out there once or twice, you know, and in like, let's say approximately a two-week time span. Um, It's just not, it's not going to work out. You've got to, you know, when it comes to counter conditioning and desensitizing these serious problems where there's a strong um, undercurrent and emotional state that we're trying to change. We need to be doing this three to five times a week. We need to be doing this right. about 15 minutes each time. Yep. And like I said, based on that study that I just read, um, you're going to be doing at least 72 counter conditioning and desensitization exercises. Out, yeah. Out with your over, triggers, yeah. yeah, over a 96 exactly. day period. If you're lucky, you're going to do that. You're, that's what you should try to, to shoot for. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you know, I'll, for, yeah. I'll have people say, well, my dog's aggressive to dogs or my dog's aggressive to people. And the problem is we just don't have people over or right. we don't see a lot right. of dogs. Well, guess exactly. what? You can buy all kinds of realistic looking stuffed animals. And I've can, just started that. Yeah. Yep, you can yes. set them at a distance and it's you know, interesting. <laughs> well, they <can't> tell. <laughs> no, they can't. Yeah. And a lot of times you can get them pretty darn close and they still can't tell, which is pretty amazing, yeah. but yeah. it works. Yeah. And when it comes to people, um, mannequins, if you really have to, you can purchase a mannequin. You can keep yeah. dressing up that mannequin differently. You just got to be creative and think outside the box a little bit. Yeah. And, and, set them up in a scenario that they can repeat it over and over exactly. again. Exactly. And like you said, it's muscle, muscle memory from right. there and, and it takes, they can access. So I call it their lizard brain. They have, <laughs> yeah, exactly. they have a lizard brain, you know? And, and, and the thing is, so to kind of, to just sum it up, that number, that okay. big number, the big reason why I said that number is because I just need people to understand exactly what you said. It is a lifestyle. There is no such thing as that 21 days to a habit. And even you don't need to be a trainer. Exactly. Yeah. And even after you you build that take on your dog. Exactly. And even after that habit is built, you got to keep practicing. Well, thank you so much for calling. Yeah, we we appreciate it. Well, thank you guys. Oh, you guys are beautiful. Thank you very much. All right. Wonderful day. We'll take your call anytime. Thank you. Um, You know, so that's a great call here. We've got another trainer. Um, yeah. in Washington and, you know, she's talking about some of the things that we've talked about and, you know, that's the kind of feedback that we're getting, that we're getting from, uh, people that are watching the show. You know, we work with a lot of dogs where, you know, it's not just about teaching sit or teaching them to come, um, but dogs that have a lot of fears, a lot of phobias, a lot of aggression, a lot of anxiety. And, when you've got to train a dog like that to be able to have a different emotional response yeah. to those triggers, um, you've got to do a lot of pairing, a lot of work 
to turn that around. And, you know, Jordan, you mentioned a lifestyle. Yeah. Um, we're asking these dogs to do something that is <clears throat> extremely difficult. I mean, like the most difficult thing that they could imagine. Do. I want you to imagine the scariest thing that you can think of, whatever the first thing to come to mind is. Yeah. And now I'm telling you that whatever that super scary thing is, I'm going to put it in your bed with you while you're sleeping. Yeah. I'm going to force you to sit on the couch as that scary thing comes over and gets on the couch with you. I'm going to tell you that you have to just sit there and watch quietly with a wagging tail while that thing comes into the house. And that is what we're asking our dogs to do. Now, can it be done? Yes, but it is slow. It takes time because here's the thing. I get it. I know that everybody's saying, well, well, my dog has absolutely no reason to be scared of strangers. Yeah, probably not. You're probably right. There probably is nothing in the dog's history. You know, there's no trauma or anything you know, like that most likely. You've got those stages of yeah. uh, um, death and dying, you mm-hmm. know, and you got the denial and all that and the yeah. bargaining. I see the same thing with dogs and their yeah. owners. Okay. Um, you know, they, they start bargaining about their yeah. dog's behavior. Um, and they go into denial about the dog's behavior. Absolutely. Um, the, the thing about it is if you've got one of these dogs that's extremely fearful, anxious, or a dog that's very reactive yeah. or aggressive, um, you need to keep that up on a daily basis, the work, or at least once you've got all the foundation and you've got to keep practicing on a regular Absolutely. basis because it's like being an athlete. We are Absolutely. asking these dogs to perform in inordinate <clears throat> circumstances for them. Yep. Because what another dog might find fine, they find to be, you know, scary as hell. Scary Absolutely. as hell. Well, we do have a question here. All right. Um, let's we take have the a couple. Question. We have All a right. couple, actually. But we'll start right. with this one. So, Tony uh, says that she's a new dog mom, seven-month-old pointer lab and retriever mix. Ooh, that's going to be fun. Uh, I just adopted him yesterday. Congratulations, Tony. Need lots of information as much as I can get. First things first. What can I do to keep him off of my sofa and out of my bed? He doesn't do well with anything other than positive reinforcement. So, Tony, here's the thing. You, you're, you're already moving in the right direction because you said the word positive reinforcement. So, the first step... Like we tell every single person, step one is to build a marker system. Okay, your dog has to understand what a marker is. And basically a marker is something that tells the dog good stuff is coming. Food is coming. You did well. All right. Once you've developed a marker, we're then going to start providing the dog with alternative incompatible behaviors in addition to marking and rewarding the desired behavior. So if you're in the living room and you notice that your dog is not on the couch, is not trying to climb on the couch. Mark and reward that behavior. That's called capturing. Okay, if every single time that your dog goes and lays down in the corner, he gets rewarded for that, he's going to start doing it more often. If you're consistent and you create a pattern. Dogs learn by patterns. They're they're magicians at figuring out patterns. Absolutely. If you're not consistent and you don't create a pattern, it's not going to happen. Exactly. Exactly. So now we've started capturing the desired behavior, right? So if you were to literally make a T chart and on the left side, put undesired behaviors and then on the right side, literally put what is the, what would I prefer the dog to do instead? So here I'm assuming getting on the couch is undesired behavior. What would you like the dog to do instead? Not get on the couch, lay down in the corner, go to his bed, sit, things like that. So Your dog goes to jump on the couch. Immediately, as soon as those paws hit the couch, send your dog to his bed. Give your dog a sit. Tell your dog to lay down and then reward him for giving that alternative behavior. And you have to be consistent here. Build that pattern. What's going to happen is your dog's going to go to jump up on the couch. You're going to send him to his bed and reward him. He's going to go to jump on the couch. You're going to send him to his bed and reward him. Jump on the couch, send him to his bed and reward him. Jump on the couch, send him to his bed and reward him. And then he's going to one day, suddenly he's going to go to jump on the couch and he's going to stop and be like, oh, wait, mom's going to send me to my bed and just go to his bed on his own. And that's how we create that chain. That's called differential reinforcement. And and I always like to tell people, okay, think about the situations where you're going to be having challenges with your dog. Is it when the doorbell rings? Is it when strangers come over? Is it when you're coming through the back door or the garage door yeah. with groceries in your hand? Is it when your young children are eating at the table? 
you got you have to start thinking about the challenges and start saying, as Jordan was saying, what would I like my dog to do other than these behaviors I don't want my dog exactly. to do? And you need to proactively work on these behaviors. Jordan was talking about a great thing. You capture a dog being relaxed capture a dog offering the behavior of laying down on its own exactly and making that a valuable behavior that a dog wants to repeat by being very consistent and having good timing and rewarding the dog every time the dog lays down now as you're capturing the dog offering the behavior of lying down label label it exactly label the behavior because you know what you've got a brand new dog that doesn't have training you ever watch anybody go sit Sit, sit, Max. Sit, 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 sit. No, sit down. And then they go sit down, and I'm yeah. like, which one? Sit, <laughs> yeah, or down, sit or down, right? And <laughs> and you know, thing. but but the thing about it is, the dog has no association. They don't know that sit means butt on the ground. Yeah, and there's no motivation. Exactly. Why should I do it? What's in it for me? Exactly. Okay. As we see dogs do behaviors, as they offer lying down, if we would label it down and quickly reward that behavior and we're consistent with it, eventually at some point we can kind of turn things around and say, yeah, down. And exactly. guess what? That little light bulb goes off. Ding. Dog's going to go, wait a minute. I've, I've heard this before. And when I heard it, it was when I was lying down and guess what? I got some chicken. I got chicken for that. Hey, let's do that again. So now, um, basically what we're getting at is make sure that you are building muscle memory with your dogs, kind of like with our collar. Um, This takes time. Practice. Practice does not make perfection. Practice makes permanence. Um, We have another question here. So Bonnie, Bonnie says that my dog that I just rescued is afraid of everything. Do I force him to do things like go out for a walk or etc.? He is about two years old. It breaks my heart to see him walk around with his tail between his legs. So you've got a dog that is panicking. You've got a dog that is suffering. Okay. Now I want you to think about um, if you had a six-year-old daughter that you wanted to take to gymnastics and she was crying and she was trembling and begging and trying to fight and get away from you bringing her into the gymnastics building. You would never force your child to do that. You know, this whole idea of, of let's just flood the dog with everything and, and you know, they'll grow out of it. No, they're not going to grow out of no. it. Okay. And one of the first things that needs to happen if you want a dog that's afraid of everything to get better is you need to manage and control the environment and the situation first and foremost to keep your dog protected and keep your dog away from whatever these triggers are that your dog is afraid of. Now, I realize you said your dog's afraid of everything. It might be afraid of you. It might be afraid of um, other people in the home. Um, literally, might be afraid of everything. You know, most dogs might startle. I startle if I hear a loud noise but I recover quickly. Yeah. And yeah, I might have certain things that, you know, I'm a little bit anxious about. I don't like snakes, but it's not like every species out there I'm, I'm scared to death about, worried about, you know, I'm going to get attacked. Right, right. So when you look at the intense severity of what's going on with your dog, and then you take a look at the wide range of items that your dog is really afraid of, um, we can, you know, very easily say that's not normal. Yeah. That is not normal. That is pathological. It is not relative to the threat. Right. Exactly. It not, it, or relative is not the right word. It is not reflective of. I'm not certain you know, what the word I'm looking yeah, for here. Yeah. I is. mean, reflective, I, I like that because yeah. how is the dog reflecting its experience? And if there's no real threat and the dog is acting like it's life and death, either wants to run away because it's scared to death or it needs, it feels like it's got to fight and attack because yeah. it's scared to death and there's no real threat. Um, it's not just about what's going on in the external world, the external environment. Usually we're talking about dogs that um, have some kind of medical issues, right? Um, typically maybe a neurochemical imbalance. And so the first thing that we're going to tell you when it's this severe and this pervasive, you need to make an appointment with your veterinarian, 
um, have the dog have a full physical exam, make sure that there's no underlying medical issues that are contributing factors, and then perhaps discuss with your veterinarian uh, behavior medicine. Now, we've done shows on behavior meds before, and you know, there's always a lot of emotion behind that. You know, a lot of people are like afraid to death of giving their dog meds. Yeah. Um, they're afraid their dog's going to be a zombie. Look, well, let's be specific. They're afraid to death of giving medications for mental things. Right. They'll give medication for the dog's arthritis. They'll give the insulin for the diabetes. Yep. But they discriminate against that one organ of the body called the brain that yep. can be also sick, just like any other organ of the body, like your heart, your liver, your pancreas. And we need to treat that if that is a contributing factor. And yeah. a lot of people will be like, well, that's a last resort. No, it's not a last resort. The research is showing us the quicker we begin to help these dogs, not just with medication, because medication is not going to cure anything. But what it's going to do is it's going to make the dog have the ability to actually tolerate the training and the work help the dog to be able to learn help the dog's memory exposure therapy only works if you can tolerate the exposure and if we have a dog that is so scared of everything we can't get the triggers far enough away if there's sound phobias we can't get them quiet yeah. enough um, we need a combination of medication in conjunction with behavior modification. Now, let me preface this by saying, Jordan and myself are not veterinarians. Nope. We're not giving out medical advice. This is just what we work with, what we see. This is the experience that we have. Um, and when we're dealing with this serious population, um, the golden standard is a combination of medication and behavior modification. Um, and most likely, a lot of these dogs do not need to stay on the medication. Right. But you wait until they're really, really old and you say, okay, now as a last resort, well, it's too late by then. You're not going to have yeah. the ability to create new neuropathways. Absolutely. And the neurogenesis factor that we get from these medications, especially fluxetine, um, we're not going to have that happen. Absolutely. Absolutely. So um, basically what we're saying here is when you have a dog that's scared of everything, first step, get in contact with your veterinarian. That's the very first and thing. And then you need to find yourself a really skilled, really qualified behavior consultant yeah. that is a positive reinforcement trainer. Exactly. Okay. Now, let me talk a little bit about that positive reinforcement. You know, there's a lot of schools of thought. There's a lot of ways to train dogs out there. Um, we've got balanced trainers that use corrections and rewards. Yep. We've got positive reinforcement trainers that really try to stay in the total positive reinforcement camp. Yeah. Um, here's the thing. When it comes to an aversive, it's easy to use pain, fear, and intimidation to stop a dog from doing a behavior. Absolutely. The problem is, is that underlying that behavior, there's an emotional state. And if you don't deal with that emotional state, all you're doing when you use an aversive you're fooling yourself. You think you've corrected the problem. No, you've interrupted the problem. You've suppressed the behavior temporarily. You've suppressed the behavior. You've done nothing to change the dog's perceptions, the dog's feelings, the dog's emotions. And so what happens is those negative emotions start to build and build and build. Yeah, the dog's not reacting. The dog's not displaying the behavior because you used an aversive. You corrected the dog, whether yeah. it be yelling at the dog and the dog got nervous, whether it be giving a leash pop, okay, whether it be using an electronic collar, um, something that causes pain, discomfort, fear, intimidation. You're fooling yourself if you think that this is really going to help with the problem. It will shut that problem down temporarily. And that's why, you know, we get so many calls from people that would love to just send their dogs away to training for a week, two weeks, yeah. three weeks. Hey, I'm going on vacation for two weeks. Take care of it for <clears> me. Can I send my fearful, aggressive dog to you so when I come back in two weeks, everything's good to go? No, it's not going to happen in two weeks. It's not going to happen in two weeks. And if somebody's going to make an effective change in your dog in two weeks, trust me, they're punishing the hell out of your dog. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. 
And that's not going to work in the long run. Oh, you get a dog that comes back and it seems like, oh my God, my dog's no longer barking and lunging and snapping at people. My dog's no longer barking, lunging, snapping at other dogs. Everything is wonderful. You think the dog's cured. Three months later, the dog's, you know, biting people, biting dogs, and this has escalated, you know, 20% more intense. And that's what happens. It takes longer to do the real work of change, but you either do it or you don't. You either get the results that you're looking for or you don't. There's no quick fixes for this. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Now, we have another question from Alicia. She asks, if your pup is so afraid of noises, they have accidents. Is it helpful to play some noises in the home starting low and slowly increasing? Now, here's the thing. If your dog is so scared of noises that we are having elimination, elimination problems, mm-hmm. that is severe. That's not, that, is not a, that is not mild. That is not moderate. That is severe. Okay, let's imagine now. Yeah. This is Elise. Okay. Uh, Alicia. Alicia. Okay. So Alicia, um, you walk out the door one morning Yeah. and you get in your car, you turn the corner and you pull into um, a store parking lot and you get out of your car and all of a sudden there's something that uh, goes crazy. Looks like we have a caller. Thanks for calling in. Where are you calling from? Calling from West Virginia. Now, oh, is this Russ? Yes, this is Russ. Hey, Russ. Hey, Ali- I just want to say something. Alicia, don't think we're going to forget about you, but we're going to take the call because calls take priority. But Alicia, we're going to talk about your dog. Absolutely. So what's going on, Russ? Oh, well, last, last week my dog got bit by a copperhead. Okay. And, and uh, I rushed him off to the vet. And then everything's fine. But today I noticed places that he's gone to, since you're talking about this subject, is he seems afraid of going into some places. Like uh, he used to go into Lowe's all the time with me, getting love and attention. But he seems to be afraid. Let me ask you this, Russ. Um, How many different things are you seeing your dog, you know, in general? You don't have to give me a hard count. How many different things is your dog starting to become afraid of that it wasn't afraid of? Well, uh, I just noticed that uh, today. Now, he goes to another place, and he just goes in just fine. But Mm -hmm. uh, like uh, Tractor Supply, he goes into fine. And then he went into Lowe's today, and he hunkers down, and he was really scared. Well... When that, he when he got bit by the snake, where was went. where was this? Where where did he get bit by the snake? This this was at home. At home, okay. So you know, interesting thing about your dog being afraid going into Lowe's. Now, there's a lot of things that you know we could guess at. Yeah, and, absolutely. And that's what I'm doing. I'm guessing, folks. Um, yeah, one, so he's gone in there all the time. Right. So there could have been a copperhead nearby. And what do I mean by nearby? It could have been a mile away. Yeah. And that scent could have went over to your dog, and your dog could have identified that scent with the trauma that it had. And yeah. all of a sudden, now it's fearful. Yeah. Now, the other thing, yeah. and this is the one we want to watch for, and that is long-term neurological damage from the venom and being bit by a snake, a poisonous snake. And there can be, over time, neurological damage, and that could mean that we start having some um, behaviors that we haven't seen before, odd, strange behaviors. So, Russ, you're going to have to keep your eye on that. And what you're going to want to do with Lowe's is – Find the point where your dog begins to get nervous. You know, you're driving there, I'm assuming. I don't know if you're walking there, driving there. But at some point, your dog begins to show slight anxiety. It's at that point, just before that, that you want to bring your dog to that point. Stop, feed, 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 take the dog away. Bring your dog to that point. Feed, 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 take the dog away. When you take the dog away, Mm -hmm. you stop feeding. So we're pairing high-value food items, something your dog loves, 
with a situation that's a little bit scary. But again, you got to keep the dog below threshold. If you're so close to Lowe's that your dog is showing care and concern and you're trying to feed the dog there, we're reinforcing Absolutely. care and concern. And then do us another favor, because I know that you're in here every week. Um, over the next week, start paying really close attention. And if you're things. noticing that your dog is getting fearful of more things, write it down. Write it all down or, for us. Or if your dog seems to be confused. Yeah. Write all these things down and then give us another update on Saturday, um, on next Saturday, as to uh, if you've noticed anything else going on. That'll give us a better idea of what, what may be happening here. But the, because right now, all that we know and is... And we're assuming you've taken yeah. the dog to the vet, Russ? Yes, it would, took him to the emergency vet because oh. it happened late at yeah. night. Okay. All right. And, and that's the other thing, you know, make sure that you're, you know, staying in contact with your vet, that you're giving them reports about this as well. Yeah, okay. absolutely. So for now, Russ, yeah, now the emergency vet, uh-huh. the, the emergency vet, I took all the paperwork and gave it to our regular vet. Perfect. So it's always on file for them. Perfect. Perfect. So what I want you to do, Russ, is find that, identify that point where he starts becoming fearful, and that's where you're going to start pairing that high-value food. And then additionally, over the next week, start taking notes on other ways that your dog is acting different or scared or just confused or, you know, things out of the normal. And then give us another update next Saturday so that we can really get to the bottom of this with you. Yeah, we'll we'll be gone the next two weekends. Okay. All right. Well, then when you get back, when we let get us back. know. All right. Absolutely, hey, Russ. Thanks for calling in. We yeah, will. Have a good one now. Appreciate, okay. Appreciate your Thank call. Thank you. You bet. Mm-hmm. So let's go back to Alicia. Absolutely. Was, I already forgot yeah, her question. Yeah, so her question was, if your pup is so afraid of noises yes. that they have accidents, and we were saying, yeah. when you you were giving an example, a real-life example. Yeah, all of a sudden, you you know pull into this parking lot of a store, you get out of your car, and you see something, and um, you lose it. You're incontinent. You exactly. pee yourself. Yeah, that's pretty severe. That's severe. That is severe. I mean, just imagine, Will. Like when, like it's I. Something that dog owners do all the time is mm-hmm. we forget that these are living beings. Right. If your child, if your young child, and, and we don't mean to anthropomorphize yeah, yeah, everything, yeah, exactly. But there is some parallels to draw here. Exactly. So if your child walked into a room. And saw a person that scared them so bad that they peed themselves. themselves. What are you going to do? Oh, you know what I'm going to do is I'm going to, I'm just going to go ahead and and bring my kid around there. Right. Just so I can hang out and get used to it. Exactly. See, what we don't realize is that dogs are still mammals. They still have very, very similar neurochemistry to us as people. It's all across all mammalian species. It is extremely similar. You see, you've got you've to separate behavior problems into two things. Yeah. Nuisance behaviors, barking. And I'm not talking barking because they're afraid or they're right. wanting to be aggressive, okay? Nuisance behaviors like jumping, digging, uh, stealing items, yeah. counter surfing, getting on the furniture. Completely different than when we're talking about dogs that have fears, anxieties, phobias, aggression towards people, aggression towards other dogs, resource guarding. Um, These type of behavior problems that have these very intense emotional states. Yeah. It's a whole different ballgame dealing with those. And you've got to be careful, you know, um, some, you know, every dog's going to be different. You know, you take a dog like that and you play the sounds very, very low. If the dog is having distress Chances are that's not going to help if your dog is showing any signs of distress at that low volume. Absolutely. Especially if there's not any counter conditioning, meaning that you're not pairing something positive with that. The idea is when you press play on those noises, you should be thinking to yourself, can they even hear it? Like, do they even notice it? I promise you, if you hear it, they hear it. Unless your dog has some sort of, you know, auditory deficit. Um I guarantee they hear it, but they need to be aloof, not a care in the world. So when you're when you press play, if your dog suddenly looks over in the direction of it, eyes wide, ears perk up and they're like, what is that? No, that's too loud. What I want is you press play. Maybe your dog kind of the ear twitches a little because they heard something, but that's it. 
That's all that I want. And that's where you start. So you press play on those noises and you feed, 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 pause, stop feeding. And then you'll do this over and over and over again for about five to 15 minutes. Now, mind you, 15 minutes is a long counter conditioning session, especially if you're accidentally putting your dog over threshold. Okay. You don't want to do that. Again, what does over threshold mean? The dog is showing signs of distress. Exactly. Exactly. So yes, to answer your question, Alicia, yes, starting out at low volumes and slowly increasing is the right direction. But, but you've got to read your dog's exactly. body language. And and for those of you that have dogs with any level of anxiety, fears, phobias, reactivity, aggression, you need to become experts in canine body language because the dogs do not speak with their mouth. Absolutely so, not. With language that so way. So to speak. It's, yeah. <laughs> their body language is how they communicate. And if you don't understand in depth detail their body language you are not going to know exactly what's yeah. going on internally with your dog i can't tell you how many people that uh-huh. before they learned canine body language thought there were situations that their dog was in oh where their gosh. dog was really happy and thrilled the biggest one and, is that tail and then and then they realize oh my god my dog is anxious yeah. my dog is, no i think the biggest one is when they kiss their dog or, or go hug oh, them yeah yeah because everybody yeah. thinks oh my dog loves it when i kiss it no, or when i hug it and then all not. of a sudden we show the recording and we show the dog trying to turn its head away distance increasing mm-hmm. yep right tongue flicks yep different things ears yawns back, ears going back going wide okay sometimes whale eye too maybe yeah no sometimes yeah They're, you know i've seen baby yeah. i've seen people on facebook put their infant by the dog, the dog and, and take a, whale a eye. to get a good photograph oh yeah. look how wonderful the dog and the baby and the dog's got its head turned and, and the whites of its whale eyes are there eye. getting ready to kill the baby yeah and everybody's, you know, yeah. giving all these likes and this and this and that. Yeah, I know. It's it's crazy. I think that the biggest mistake that dog owners make, dog owners, myself included, myself included until I learned, is the interpretation of that tale. I'm telling you. So many times yeah. I hear it when I'm on the phone. Well, his I tail was wagging. Phone. His tail was wagging, though, and then he bit me. Yeah. But his tail was wagging. I don't understand. He was happy. Well, how was his tail wagging? There's lots of different things to <laughs> yeah. look at when a tail is wagging. Only one type of tail wag, technically two. Yeah. That means happy, and that is low and slow. It's going to be sweeping. It's like a windmill. And then, yeah, and that's the other one. If it goes all the way in a circle, like a windmill. That's the best one. But the one, when your dog's tail breaks that 90-degree plane, and it starts going that tick, 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 tick. And I know everybody in here right now is going, oh my gosh, that's my dog all the time though. My dog's tail is always like that. Your dog's a little bit nervous. That's anxiety. That's nervousness. No, it doesn't mean it's horribly distressed. It doesn't mean like your dog needs meds. Precisely. You know, you've got a pathological issue with your dog. All right. I get behind the wheel of the car and I got to drive during rush hour. I'm stressed. Exactly. Exactly. I'll make it through that. You'll make it through. But what we're getting at is that... That's not a happy tail wag. That that is that is a stressed tail wag. That's a dog going. <laughs> okay, you know that's that's the nervousness, and that's why when we have clients, when I take on clients that have dogs that have any level of fear, anxiety, phobias, aggression, reactivity, it is mandatory that they study in depth canine Absolutely. body language. You cannot help dogs. If you don't understand their body language, because you will think they're happy as can be, and you'll put them in certain situations, you might be reinforcing the absolute wrong things. You need to understand the body language. Absolutely. Now, Ashley says, how can I get my dog to stop barking all the time? Literally barks at anything and is also probably annoying my neighbors. Mm-hmm. And and let me just say yeah. this, because I, I kind of wanted to talk about this, you know, um, in about a month. We've got Halloween coming up. Yeah. And there's going to be a lot of doorbells ringing, a lot of door knocking. We're going to have lots of dogs. Just uninstall the doorknob. Just take it out. (laughs) Barking, 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 barking. There's a lot of barking that's going to happen in about a month. Absolutely. And you have an opportunity right now to make this Halloween a whole lot less stressful for you and your four-legged friends absolutely if you begin the process of counter conditioning and desensitizing door knocking doorbells just for halloween and i don't know 
we did she say what specifically the triggers were? She said literally all the time at anything. Okay. Well, your dog's hearing something. Yep. Your dog's smelling something. I would begin to take a look at patterns. Are these things yeah. happening at particular times of the day? Right. Um, do they happen particular days? Are they happening all days? Yeah. Start finding the pattern. And then what okay. do we want them yep. to do? So once you, have, once you have the pattern identified of, okay, it happens every day between 1230 and two o'clock. What's happening right exactly. before the dog? Now I know everybody say, well, there's nothing happening. Oh yes, there I is. I promise you it's impossible for nothing to happen. Pay attention. Um, well, okay. Now, obviously if we, if we have a little bit of, you know, canine or doggy dementia going on, that may be a different story, but that's, that's different. Anyways, the point here is though, once you've identified the pattern, but I promise you it was doggy dementia, you're, you're not going to see a pattern like that. Once we've identified the pattern, now start paying really close attention to what happens right before that. And you're probably going to notice, wow, my neighbor, Joe, uh, he goes out and he starts working on his car every day at 12 o'clock. And that's when my dog starts barking. Now we know, oh, it's neighbor Joe. He's the problem. All right. So what you got to do, you're going to go across the street, you're going to knock on the door and you're going to be like, Joe, you got to go. No, not really. <laughs> um, no, what you're going to do then is once you've identified the trigger, we've, we've now figured out, okay, my dog is hearing something. He's hearing the UPS truck. He's, he's seeing the mailman go deliver the packages across the street. He is, there's actually this guy who works on motorcycles behind me. And every day at this time, he's turning on his bikes and it's triggering my dog. Whatever it is, the trigger is. We then now know, okay, at 12 o'clock, I got to be ready. At 1150, I got to be ready. 1159 rolls around. I'm sitting there. I'm ready to go. I've got my food on me. My dog is good. I've got him in a comfy spot, nice comfy bed. He's on leash so that he can't go trigger and run at, at different things. And then right before that trigger starts, or right after that trigger starts, I mean, almost simultaneously, start stuffing food into your dog's mouth. If your dog starts barking, growling, triggering, it's too late. You missed it. You have to make sure that the second it begins, you are ready to start just feed, 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 feed. And, and here's the thing. If your dog can't or won't take the food, what are we dealing with? At that point, if the dog won't take the food, now what's happening is he's too far over threshold. He is mm -hmm. flooded. So the way that it works is our prefrontal cortex, that's where executive functioning occurs. That's where future planning, rationalized decision-making, all of that fight or flight or our survival instinct occurs in our amygdala. Very emotional. Now, your brain, just like your car, can only have one driver at a time. So if fight or flight turns on because too much cortisol and norepinephrine is being fired off by your dog's brain, the prefrontal cortex shuts off. And one of the very first things to go away is that is digestion. So you'll know, you'll Think about it. Think about it. A lot of people see it. You try and give your dog a piece of food and they'll even take it in their mouth. Sometimes they won't, but then they just spit it right back out because they like the way it tastes. They want it, but their body is literally telling them we're not digesting food right now. It is not coming in. Digestive tract is turned off because his body, his or her body is rerouting power away from different parts of the brain and routing it into the amygdala so that they can focus on survival. So what that means is now that we've identified that your dog is too far over threshold, you've got a few options. Find a way to lower the intensity of the trigger, whether that is creating more distance, turning down the volume. You may not be able to turn down the volume of your neighbor's motorcycles, but what if you find a centralized closet and you leave the clothes in there? Well, Sound dampening. And, and some dogs, some dogs are going to have to learn. <clears throat> we're going to have to teach them to wear sound canceling yeah, headphones. Absolutely. Now I know you might sound it's crazy, but we're teaching dogs to you know uh, relax comfortably in MRI machines. All right, it's just a training issue. Absolutely, it's a training issue. Absolutely. But Ooh, if I you're... like this question, once we're done right. with this, no, one. no, are we? Um, no, I mean, I think that's about it for me. That's all that I want to talk about in regards to that question. I hope that answers your question there, uh, Ashley. Um, now, Stephen, this is a fantastic question. Can you talk a little bit about introducing a new cat 
into a home with an older cat. I've done all the traditional things, but the new female cat who is three years old goes after the 10 year old male cat. They have been separated for a long time. Mm -hmm. And now my older cat is afraid of the younger one. And that's pretty much the situation. It's usually the younger pet that goes after the yeah. older pet. Now, when you say that you did all That's the what I traditional to know. things, I don't know what that means. Yeah. Um, so let me tell you what I do. Now, they do need to be separated. We don't want your cats to rehearse aggressive behavior. We don't want them to rehearse fearful behavior, which means we need to control the antecedents, which means we're controlling the environment. We're controlling what happens before the aggression and the fear. So right now it's avoidance until we've done the work. Absolutely. Now, what I like to do is I like to get a couple socks. Okay. And what I like to do is I get one sock and I'm rubbing that sock all over the younger cat and I'm taking my second sock and I'm rubbing that all over the older cat and I'm doing that once a day and I'm bringing that sock with the scent of the older cat to the younger cat and I am rubbing the scent of the older cat that's on that sock on the younger cat and I'm doing the same thing with the sock that has the scent of the younger cat and I'm rubbing that on the older cat absolutely and then the other thing that I'm doing after I've done that for maybe a week or two then what I start doing is I start bringing in um, them in cat carriers Okay. And what I like to do is I like to have their food ready to go. You got to feed them. Hopefully you're feeding on a schedule and not free feeding. Yeah. The cats go into their carriers. They're far enough away where they are not in distress. Remember, we've got to keep them under threshold just like dogs. It's no different. And you feed them. And as soon as you're done, whichever cat is done eating first, you're going to go ahead and remove them. Yep. Okay. Now I want to stress something here because, um, a lot of people will be like, okay, cat carrier. If both cats are not in a cat carrier, you're going to set yourself up for failure. Okay. You're not going to catch both. And here's the other thing. Once you get them closer and closer and closer over time, how long might this take? Well, it might take 72 counter conditioning and desensitization exercises over 96 days. Talked about the study. Yeah. Talked about the shelter dogs that had fears and had severe behavior problems. And it took 72 counter conditioning and desensitization exercises over 96 days to help them get significantly better. Um, Once you have done that, one of the things you want to do, I don't know if your cat's like to play with toys, if you can get like a flirt pole for the cat with a toy and get your cat really interested in that, interested in you. Because one of the things that I would also then have you do after a few weeks is bring out one of the cats in the carrier, have the other one out and play. But when you're playing with that one cat, the other cat is eating, okay? And little by little, you would bring the cat that's playing closer and closer and closer to the carrier with the cat that's eating. But again, you've got to keep that cat under threshold. You have to do this slowly, gradually. You can't go any faster than your cat's pace. Now, if you've been doing this for about six to eight weeks, if you're not seeing any improvement, then you need to make an appointment with your vet. You may need to have some behavior medicine in conjunction with behavior modification. Um, when you begin to have them come out together, you don't want to just let them be free. You're going to want to have a helper. You're going to want to have harnesses on the cats. If the, Go ahead and just pick it up and, and we'll get them on the air in a second. Absolutely. Um, I, I've got them off the air now. We'll get them on in a second, but you can yeah, talk to them. Absolutely. Um, but when you are doing that with the cat and, and you're going to have to condition them to be comfortable with a harness and have leashes on them and keep them far enough away where they don't care about one another. If they spend enough time away from one another, they don't care. And you keep on doing this thing with the integrating sense with the socks. Um, you should probably be in good shape, but you can send us a message. Let us know what you have been doing 
so that um, I can take a look at that as well. Jordan, you said we've got a caller on the line. Absolutely. We sure do. Welcome to the show. Where are you calling from? Oh, they just hung up. Uh Uh-oh. Okay, never mind. Well, I'll tell you what. We just went to take that call. If you hung up and you want to give us another quick call back, you can. The number is 602-525-6880. That's 602-525-6880. We do have a line open if you would like to call. Do us a favor. Hit that like button. And hit that share button so that more people can benefit from Pet Talk today. Do we have another question? Because we've got about five minutes before we... So this is a question right here. Somebody said we are in regards to the the cat introduction. Yeah. Uh, Patty said, does this work the same with bringing in a new puppy that's aggressive to the old dog? Here's the thing, Patty. Not... It, the idea is the, exactly the same. The the, Similar. the the principle the principle here is the same, but it is it is something that's going to be a lot more in depth. Um, oh, looks like unknown caller. Back. Are we getting our caller yeah. back? Thanks for calling Pet Talk today. Where are you calling from? All right. Okay. Well, we lost that caller as well. Yeah, so we've got we we've got about five minutes left. We're not going to take any calls. Yeah, we mute. There we go. No, we're not going to take yeah. any calls. Um, so anyways, Patty, it's 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 pretty in-depth. It, it, it really is. The idea is the same, but it's you're not going to be using socks. As soon as the dogs see each other at a distance where they are not becoming aggressive with each other, they're not being stressed out, they're not fearful of each other, they are just aware of each other's presence, that's where you're going to start pairing high-value food, and you're going to practice that. Before, let's say you have to start at 100 feet. They can't see that. Bring your oh yeah. In. Let's say let's say let's say let's say you have to start at a hundred feet. We need to get a wider lens. Um, but anyways, let's say you have to start at a hundred feet. You may have to practice at a hundred feet for weeks, maybe a month, maybe longer before you can even go down to ninety five feet. Okay. Um. And I. That's that's something. Please, 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 please. We talk about it a lot. Go look at our old videos. We talk about counter conditioning, dog on dog aggression quite often and come back next week and ask that question again. I'd love to go in depth with that one. Now, uh, Jason says, how do you teach your puppy or your dog bite inhibition if the dog's parents never taught them? Well, this is, and you know, this is one that, you know, some trainers might even get a little upset. This is a tough one this, because this typically that is something that is going to be learned between three and five weeks of age, not just with the parents, the, yeah. the sire and the dam, right. but with the litter. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and here's the thing. I am a firm believer that all four quadrants of operant conditioning occur every single day to every single person, to every single animal, everything that lives experiences positive reinforcement, negative reinforcement, positive punishment, and negative punishment in their natural habitat. Now, we are firm believers, and we utilize Lima in our training. Um, So when you have a dog that doesn't have that bite inhibition, Every single time that your dog bites you. Now, if we're talking about a dog that's older than, say, 15-ish weeks, maybe even a little bit less than that, this might not be very beneficial to you. As soon as your dog bites and tries to bite you, you need to let out a yip. Sound like an injured dog. Literally, just like that. Just like your dog hurts you. And your dog's going to be like, whoa, what was that? What what was that? I didn't like that. I didn't like hurting you. And you do it every single time. Additionally, you can try this. As you're playing with your dog, you're rolling around, having fun with your dog, playing, 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 playing. Dog bites you immediately like it was a push of a button. Get up, stop playing with your dog, walk away. Two minutes. Then come back and play with your dog. You got to think about a couple things, folks. Yeah. Um, when it comes to behavior, there's the ABCs. There's yeah. the antecedent, what happens right before the behavior. That is a trigger that's a motivating yeah. event or situation that motivates the behavior. That behavior then has a consequence. Either the dog is getting a reward as a result of that particular behavior or there is some type of punishment, okay? Rewards and punishments are what dictate um, behavior. So look and say to yourself, hey, what is happening? Let's see, a lot of dogs are are biting at their owners and their owners are trying to be gentle. It's a puppy yeah. and they're like, no, no, no. And they're positively reinforcing. They're uh-huh. engaged. They're giving the dog attention. Yep. Um, it's almost like they're petting the dog. Exactly, and pushing the dog away. Guess what? 
The dog does it's not a game. Hey, exactly. hey, come on, let me push you too. Yeah, you push exactly. me, I push you. We're Look what my teeth family. can do. Exactly. You know, my teeth are how I communicate. But Precisely. I like what you say about giving out the little yip. Yep. Okay. But the other thing too is, look, puppies need lots of things to chew on. Yeah. They are going to be chewing until they're seven, eight months of age because that's how long it takes until their adult teeth come in. And they need a lot of things to chew on. So yeah. give them something appropriate to chew on. They're chewing on you. Get up and move. And exactly. if they continue to chew on you, but your timing's got to be good. As soon as they begin to chew on you, bite you, put them in the crate for two minutes. Yep. That's another option. But the what do we always talk about? Teach them what we want them exactly. to do. Exactly. We are so good at telling our dogs no. Do me a favor. Everybody that's watching right now, do me a favor. Go tell your dog yes. Go look at what your dog is doing No, good they're all going to have to give them a treat <laughs> if they say yes, if they use go, that as a marker. Go so. look at your dog and be like, you know what? You are doing something that I want you to right now. Today, I'm telling you, reward your dog for something good. That's what I want you to get out of this. Yeah. Well, you know what? That means we are out of time. It's been a great show. I appreciate everybody that submitted your questions. Appreciate everybody that called in. Do us a favor. Hit that like button and hit that share button. Be sure that other people can benefit from this. We'll see you next Saturday. Be good. Train your dogs. That's all, folks. Yeah, we're out of here.